Hey everybody, welcome to the Rich by 36 podcast for Thursday, October 29th. Today I'm going to be joined by Sandeep Sukumar. He's a commodities trader and we're going to talk about what the day-to-day is like being a commodities trader. You know, How much money are you moving in a given day? How much physical versus paper you know, product are you actually moving? Uh, yeah, I didn't know that, but as a commodities trader, he's actually taking physical positions in these products or in these trades. So uh, we're going to dive into that profession. And, and, and I think it's pretty interesting. Not a lot of people know what it's, what it's like or what it's about to be a commodities trader. So uh, before we get to that, the last five days in the S&P have been crazy and it's down almost 5%. And there's been a lot of uncertainty about what's happening in the market right now. It's, it's a little scary. You know, you have COVID cases on the rise. Yesterday, the United States reported 81,457 new cases, a 41% increase compared to the number of new cases reported at this time two weeks ago. The top article, when you pull up the New York Times, runs with the headline, European hospitals are filling at an alarming pace. And if you click through the article, you'll see that in Belgium, all non-essential hospital work has been postponed to deal with covid Croatia has asked former doctors to come out of retirement to help in hospitals. Uh, The Netherlands is actually airlifting COVID patients to Germany because there's just no more room in ICU, in Dutch ICU, ICU units. There's actually a new nationwide lockdown in France. Germany just imposed new lockdown measures. And, you know, you have the virus surging in the U.S. and Europe. And to top it all off, it's become highly politicized. It's one of the pivotal moments, and we're what a little over a month away from the election. A lot of uncertainty happening right now, and I, I think that the market is going to remain volatile and choppy, uh, certainly until November third, and, e- and even after. If we don't on November third, and this is look, if we have a clear cut, clear cut winner, the market's going to rally. I don't know if we're going to get that. I don't know what the likelihood is of that. If Biden loses, um, there's a good chance that the Democrats are going to contest the election. You know, with mail-in ballots not being counted, and it's already a couple of states' Supreme Courts have already come out with different rulings saying we're not going to count mail-in ballots if they're late, and another state is. It's There's a really significant chance that we're not going to know who the president is on November 4th, and that's going to be devastating for markets. So I'm going to talk to you a little bit about GDP, coronavirus here before we get to this interview. Um, I think that there's a way to play this and that we're going to have some good buying opportunities. But uh, let me just touch on a couple of things quickly here. Uh, Biden has come out with a seven point plan on how he would tackle coronavirus, which is obviously a big issue facing the country and our in our economic output. And he's also stated that he's going to sign a stimulus bill. And, And so Biden's plan against the virus involves essentially more federal government involvement. Uh, And the number one thing that he's proposing is to set consistent evidence-based guidance to stop outbreaks, i.e. get scientists more involved. He wants like a a top-down approach. He wants the CDC to get, to provide specific guidance based on the degree of viral spread in a community for when to open or close businesses and schools. He has Five other points, including ramping up testing, establishing a, a U.S. public health job corp, uh, help people get health insurance, create a caregiving workforce, and, and bolster resources for vaccine distribution. But the the thing that 
scares me the most about this plan is having he's essentially opening the door for more lockdowns and you know look we've talked we talked in Tuesday's show about modern monetary theory and just it's already starting to happen where you can just governments are printing money to tackle this challenge and what economic output needs to outpace the level of money printing that you're doing or else inflation is going to come and our economy is really struggling right now and lockdowns are a piece of that and depending on which side of the aisle you fall on you're going to think that it's you know lockdowns are, are the bane of all all of our problems and they're not a state like Iowa didn't lock down at all and their economic activity is suffering as well consumer behavior has changed people are worried about getting this virus and they're just they're not going out people are unemployed right so they're not spending money but i do think that federally regulating more lockdowns is a big mistake it does have some sort of impact on economic output and not giving people the choice uh, can really right and this would be the second time that it has happened it could really be a disaster for our economy so Look, we've already printed $3 trillion this year. That, that number is certainly going to go up after the election. Whoever wins, they're going to sign a new stimulus bill. We need economic output to pick up. And they just released just some numbers on this. They just released third quarter GDP. The headline, uh, that, you know, the headline is that U.S. GDP grew 7.4% in the third quarter, which is technically the highest percentage increase in, hi- in history. The previous record was 3.9% in 1950. Uh, but the way that they calculate GDP is, is there's a couple of issues that I have with this, this big headline. The way that they calculate GDP is confusing and it looks like, um, most of the, most of the recovery that we had happened in June, which wasn't part of this quarter. But if you look at, they're doing quarterly GDP growth. This has been a really a month to month, week to week uh, impact on our economy. And so what they're looking at, January, February, March, so you have April, terrible economic activity. May, it starts to recover a little bit. And then June, you had a big push. So the even though the, the second quarter decline was about 32% year over year, you had this big push up and it looked a lot better in June. And it's really the economy has remained flat in the third quarter. But from the average in the second quarter, it looks like we increased 7.9% because we just kind of remained flat at this June level. We didn't actually, it's not like there was a straight line increase 7.4% every month of the quarter, if that makes any sense. You know, economists are already predict, we have another wave of the virus coming. Major corporations like Boeing and AT&T have announced new waves of layoffs. Industrial production actually fell in September. Job growth has slowed down. Um, you know, I, I don't think that this is going to continue. And the economy in the third quarter remained, you know, at the end of the third quarter, we were 3.5% smaller than we were at the end of 2019. And just for some context, GDP shrank 4% over the entire year and a half of the Great Recession. So this has been a huge, huge hit. And I'm not sure that it's it's over, right? So you have, and, and look, I, I'm telling you all these things just to make the case that October potentially November, if we don't know who the president is, and, and even on toward the end of the year, is going to be a wild ride in the market. And there's going to be a lot of 
There's going to be a lot of big red days. And we had four of them already this week, I think. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. What's today? Thursday. I think the market's flat. But what I'd recommend doing is if you have large gains in positions that you've taken since March, I'd take a serious look at locking in some of those gains. And just, you know, I had a 230-something percent gain in Peloton. Basically put in two grand at the beginning of the year and it grew, grew to five. And I sold $3,000 worth of Peloton today. I want to get cash ready to redeploy because there's going to be stocks that are on sale. There really are. And I'm, I'm, I don't know if I'm ready to do it today or tomorrow. I'm going to take a long look this weekend and we're going to put out three picks that we believe in, in the Beastly uh, this coming weekend. But there's going to be great companies at prices that we haven't had in a very long time. So buy when people are scared, buy when there's blood in the streets, you know, if you have some gains, if you need to get your cash position back up, look at selling some, selling some of the positions, pulling some of the gains that you've made, uh, some of these embedded gains. Just like, I wish I had done it last week in DraftKings, right? I think I was up 60, 70% in DraftKings. I'm down to 4% today, right? It went up to 50, 60 bucks a share. It's down to 34, right? So take the gains when you have them, get that cash out and be ready to reposition. Give you um, just a quick update here on the Beastly. Before we get to the interview, since August 17th, the date that we first sent out the newsletter, we're still positive. Our picks have returned 1.93% compared to negative 3.61% for the S&P. So we're looking at 5.5% outperformance. And it's been a crazy week. Uh, we recommended BlackRock on this Monday's show. We already blew out our downside protection, our stop loss order. We've exited the position. We booked a 6.5% loss. We recommended Pinterest on October 19th. Well, they blew out earnings yesterday. They popped 25% this morning and triggered our, our limit order. So we booked a locked in a 25% gain there. Datadog, which I was super high on, actually hit our stop loss order on the downside. We booked a negative 13% loss. We've exited the position. We're going to keep an eye on that one. That's something that I believe is going to continue to grow in the future. Uh, DR Horton and Orion Energy Systems also hit our downside targets, which, which look, guys, this is, this is all okay. This is why we set these stop-loss orders in the first place. If, if our upside thesis is proven incorrect, we want to get the money out and we want to find better places to put it. And there should be a lot of opportunities in the coming week. Uh, in the coming weeks. So make sure you head to richby36.com. Sign up for the Beastly Newsletter. We're offering two free weeks. You try it out, see if you like it, come along for a few trades. If you do like it, it's $27 a month after that. There's no long-term commitment. Like and subscribe wherever you listen to the show. It helps. Also, you can reach me at george at richby36.com and on Twitter at rich underscore by underscore 36. All right, that's the longest intro we've done to date. Let's get to the interview with Sandeep Sukumar. All right, Deep, we are live. Thank you for joining me on the Rich by 36 podcast. You are a ethanol trader, and uh, I just learned uh, before we came on here that there's a difference between being a broker and a trader. So why don't we start with that? Can you tell us a little bit about what you do, how you got into it, and what it takes to be a successful commodities trader? Uh, first of all, George, it's a pleasure to be on your podcast, and thanks for having me. And... Can you hear me? Or? Yeah, yeah, I got you. I got you. Okay, cool. All right. So, um, the so I'm a commodities trader, 
And the difference between a commodities trader and a commodities broker is generally the, a trader takes, uh, takes a position, whereas a broker is uh, more like a, uh, you're connecting a buyer and a seller. That's what a broker does. Whereas yeah. a trader is, it can be either a buyer or a seller. But generally, you, you can't be both on the same transaction, but you'll be buying certain times, you'll be selling some other times. So you are, you are taking a position on that commodity. So it, it does not have to be like a physical, um, you, don't, you don't have to be like physical possession, but then you're just taking a financial position or a physical position. You, 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 it does not mean like you necessarily own the commodity like physically. And that's- Let's come back to that in a second. So you're, I'm assuming, working for a company that, that gives you, uh, do they give you a bankroll in order to do this? Or are you having to come out and just, you, you trade ethanol? Yes. Uh, you know, so are you, are you doing this for your own personal gain or are you, are you working with a company and uh, as part of a larger organization? Uh, so uh, I'll give you a little background on myself. So uh, I work for a, a commodities trading company and the name of the company is BioRge Trading. The company has been around for around like 12 years or so. It started off as an ethanol trading company, and now we've expanded more into the energy space. So we, uh, so we also have the uh, ethanol trading desk, and we have a crude trading desk, and we used to have a refined products trading desk. which is usually those, uh, the silos, which you see in the Midwest, yeah. like the grain silos. Yeah. I believe the total storage there is close to like 28 billion, a million bushels. And the company also owns a metals trading company where they supply like valves to the oil field services and all that. And you, so, you're trading with the attempt to make a profit, right? Exactly. Yeah, so I work on the ethanol desk for this company. Got it. And the the ethanol desk is a part of this commodities trading company, and um, uh, so so how generally most uh, commodity trading firms work is you'll have a bank or or a syndicate of banks which uh, extend a credit credit line, so you can like buy say for example crude you can buy crude and sell crude, and all this is. Uh, uh, it's uh, uh, you're using the credit line of a bank. Okay. Yeah. Uh, what type of, uh, are you trading futures or forwards? Uh, what, what type of derivative are, are you trading? Actually both. Okay. So, uh, so, so I trade a lot of uh, physical ethanol, which is like uh, rail cars, trucks, barges, and a lot of uh, paper too, which is uh, the ethanol future, uh, there's there's one physical future which is uh, uh, a physical uh, rail car delivery in Chicago, which is uh, not liquid at all, and then there's also a financially settled swap, mm -hmm. which settles every day, and that has like more liquidity. So that's those are the two ethanol futures which are out there. Yeah, so why would you trade the physical? If does your company take? Inventory of the ethanol. That, yes. Okay. Yeah. So so uh, so we uh, we have a presence in 
I want to say at least like 35 to 40 states. And we are present in close to 80 terminals all across the U.S. But it's more in the southeast than um, in, uh, in uh, mostly southeast. And then if you go like further up north, like in, in Virginia and Pennsylvania, and then as you move further west, we are along the pretty much all the Midwestern states. Uh, along the Magellan pipeline system. And then as you go like further west, we are in Utah, Arizona, and New Mexico. What 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 percentage, um, and I'm, I want to tie this into oil uh, just for a second because of what happened, I think it was in April where the, right. the, the, the front month contract for oil went down to negative 40 or negative $45 uh, where people were actually paying you so that you would buy their yes. oil from them. So what, right. what's the kind of what are the correlations between ethanol and oil contracts? And then how, as a kind of a percentage, do you deal mostly with paper, you know, financial positions or is a lot of what you do the actually physically settled uh, trading? Uh, to answer your first question, there is hardly any correlation between ethanol and oil. And there's In terms not of much price. of a correlation. Yes, okay. and there's not much of a correlation between ethanol and gasoline either what, in the U.S. What, like, what other uses for ethanol are there besides you know being ten percent of you know my my gas tank when I go to to fill up my so, car? So, uh, uh, like pretty much all the alcohol we drink, oh, really? is, is is ethanol. So, yeah, so that, uh, yeah, so that's, so that uh, makes sense. It's made from so corn. That's, that's yeah, it's it's it. Uh, it's it's all made from corn, and then that's the, recession proof. There you go. Yeah, because <laughs> I was so actually so looking. Uh, U.S. demand for ethanol during two thousand eight, two thousand nine, two thousand and ten, where you would think there, were, you know, oil prices certainly right. constricted as uh, people just stopped traveling as much, but the demand for ethanol went up during those years. Which now that yeah. I, I thought it was, <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, like so, so. One of the reasons for that is so, so that's when uh, the RFS two was being RFS is the Renewable Fuel Standards, which was uh, passed by Congress, and that was being implemented. So the the percentage of ethanol that's blended into the gasoline pool was increasing during during those years. Okay. So that's why you would find like the ethanol for fuel use going up quite a bit during those years. Yeah. So even though, tra yeah, even though people are traveling less, you're requiring yes. more ethanol to be in the gas. Right. So, so uh, like, I, I don't know the numbers off the top of my head, but I'm guessing maybe like in 2006 or seven, they were blending seven, eight percent. And at, at the end of 2010, they were blending like closer to 10 percent. Okay. How, how do so that's you, why you would find. How did you get into being an ethanol trader? Uh, so out of school, I, uh, I, so, let, let me give you a proper introduction of myself. So I was born and raised in India. And then I came to the U.S. for my MBA. And that was around uh, 10 years ago. Okay. And so in school, I was interested in operations. And so I, I wanted a role which was uh, uh, more operations focused. So, so that's how I got, in, uh, got into this trading company. And I started off as uh, in ethanol operations. And then once you get into a trading company, uh, the the trading aspect is is very important. Like that's why it's called a trading company. So and then I moved from an operations role into a trading role. 
So usually that's the, that's, I would say that's like the most common part for most traders. They start, they start off uh, in operations and then move into a trading role. And I think in some bigger firms, they directly hire traders out of, out of school. Do you, do you so, have to have a CFA to, to do this? No, you, you, no, you, you don't. Okay. Like the requirement to get a job was uh, like an MBA, but then uh, I don't think that's, that's uh, necessary either. Okay. So in uh, March, April, the price of oil goes to negative 40. And from what I understand, it was in large part driven by a oil ETF, the United States Oil okay. Fund, which at the time invested very, it's the largest oil fund in the world and it invests, I guess, publicly traded. And it invests, invested at the time, uh, a majority of their assets in the front month contract. Correct. And you had this this shock on demand and where people just weren't traveling everybody shut down right. basically across the world within the span of a couple of months and the price of oil right. and and so oil tanks are, are filling up and yeah. all of a sudden you have oil producers going well um i'm not going to sell you my oil right now at whatever the price was i can i can buy a forward or future contract or sell a sell a futures contract right. and i don't care I'm what happens to it after that? Because I, you're legally obligated to take it from me. But usually there's a majority of, of the oil market is paper contracts that aren't physically settled because, you know, right. like the hedge fund that I used to work for in Dallas, they don't have an oil tanker in the middle of, you know, in the middle of uptown Dallas. In they can put Oklahoma. the stuff in. Yeah. So yeah. all of a sudden there were a lot more physical deliveries than paper right. uh, so settlements. and. The- if, like if you look at the like the WTI futures contract, so that's a physically settled futures contract, whereas Brent is not. Brent is financially settled. So, so generally, when you look at us, uh, the structure of a fund like uh, USO, uh, they would say that they they'd keep like X percentage of the uh, uh, the assets would be in the front month contract. Right. So as the front month contract expires, you roll it to the next month, which. Which worked like which works like ninety nine point nine percent of the time, but what happened in April is uh, the uh, um, the fund tried to do the same thing where you like where you're rolling futures from the prompt month to the next month, but then since there was uh, and the WTI is a physically settled uh, physically it's a physically delivered contract there was no storage space in Oklahoma because the demand demand had like fallen off a cliff yeah and. Um, since there was no space, the people who had space, they uh, uh, they could like um, th- that space was very valuable. So that so so you you have these uh, uh, and the fund that owns uh, these X number of f- uh, futures contracts, there's no buyer for them. So you have to keep lowering the price. And at the end, um, the people who who had space at the end, they uh, you had to like pay them money to take the oil. So that's what happened in 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 april was the strategic petroleum reserve the government's uh storage facility was that open at that time or did that come in after where they're like all right you, it, oklahoma's full you can start bringing us your oil we'll keep some mm, corporate oil here no the, the the thing is the wtf futures it it is deliverable in oklahoma you, you can't deliver oh, okay. it in yeah. louisiana or elsewhere it. it's it's only in oklahoma so so that's how most uh, commodities contracts work that it's 
it's got a delivery point. So like ethanol, the delivery point is Chicago. Yes. So you, you cannot, I mean, there is a New York Harbor future too, which is not as liquid. So if, if you own the, eth- the ethanol future in Chicago, you can't request delivery in like Nashville or somewhere else. Yeah. It has to be Chicago. That's, that that's the terms of the contract. Have you been so, to your, you know, have you been to the, I don't know what you would call it, the place in Chicago where you actually physically settle and have you seen these? I I have not. It's, it's actually like, uh, since the ethanol future is a rail car, it's a rail yard. It's a giant rail yard in Chicago. That sounds glamorous. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so why did you, so, why did you pick ethanol as opposed to grain or oil or, you know, any of these other commodities? Uh, I mean, it, like the company I worked for was an ethanol trading company. So okay. that's, is there anything like, in particular? Like before I got into trading, I didn't have a preference between yeah. any commodities. It's just that got into ethanol and it worked out. So how, how does does the does the company come to you on like your Monday morning meeting and go, all right, we need X amount of physically delivered contracts? You know, how do you set? How do you make sure that no, you're not overflowing the company's coffers or something like that? No, it's 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 pretty much like uh, most of the companies, right? So the like the company I work for, the uh, the ethanol desk is part of uh, is one of the many desks in the company, and like the ethanol desk has got like position limits, and there's like a budget for the desk, and you need to make this amount of money each year. So it's so it. Uh, uh, like everything's very transparent. Like you know, you know what your limits are, and uh, like what kind of risk you can take on, and that kind of that kind of things. So, and what what's the what's the typical day like? How many trades do you place in a day, and you know how much money is are you shifting around the country? Um, that's I've actually never thought about it. So, let's say I think yesterday we had to like buy a train and sell it a train is like 96 rail cars so 96 <laughs> rail cars is is uh how many gallons how many gallons of ethanol is it's that? like uh um, it's uh, twenty nine thousand gallons in a rail car so it's close to like three million gallons okay. and the and the price of ethanol is right now is like a dollar 55 you can call it like a dollar 50 so that's like four and a half million so and you did that before breakfast and you're just you know, you had your morning coffee and you just you were going to go oh, buy yeah. a train and, and then you're done for the day or what, what is? No, no, no. So it's, it's, so it's, uh, are you having to take positions and futures contracts exactly, to yes, hedge yes, yes. The, the purchase? Yes. Yeah. And it's like, it's, uh, it's like multiple transactions. So, so yesterday was the, that train was the biggest one. And then you also have like, you're buying a bunch of trucks, you're selling a bunch of trucks, then you like buying a barge, selling a barge, then you're also buying like, um, uh, financial swaps so it's so you're, you're doing like multiple things at the same time and uh, like that's how a typical day is and so generally like mondays are busier and then as you go towards the end of the week uh, like fridays are generally slow days but then um, sometimes you find you have these uh, uh, the usda reports which which tell you what, where like grain stocks are like how much corn is in the country how much corn's been used like what the yields are how much did farmers plant so that that, that comes out once a month so if, if that reports on a friday generally fridays are busy then every wednesday is the eia uh, releases the inventory report for like pretty much all commodities 
Yeah. Like how much has been used in the previous week and uh, what the stocks are, what the production is. So, so generally report days are more busy. And yeah, so it's, it's, it's tough to say, but it's, it's, uh, most days there's, so, there's something new going on. So it, it's, uh, it, it feels good. It's good. What, what, if everybody, let's say by 2035, you know, all, right. all 50 states follow Governor Gavin Newsom's lead and mandate that every new car sold by 2035 has to be electric. What right. happens to ethanol demand? That's, uh, Is there enough that's definitely not good for ethanol. To, to, to make up for the, the lack of gasoline being sold in this country. And do I know that it's, it's a, I'm sorry for stepping on here. Uh, America and Brazil are the top two producers of ethanol, but there's, you know, I'm assuming people in other countries are going to be, uh, what happened to my internet here? People in other countries are going to be driving too. Is this something that we export to, to other countries? Right. Uh, yes, like so ethanol is blended into the gasoline pool. I want to say in, I can't say most countries, but in like many countries, like uh, in, a lot of countries in Europe uh, also blend ethanol, but in a much smaller proportion than the US. The, like the US blends around close to 10%. Brazil blends like 27%. And if you go to India, they're trying to get to 5%. So, and uh, China had a, E10, uh, like a 10% mandate, but they've uh, uh, they've slowed down on it. So to answer your question, like um, if the US is moving to electric cars, there's a very good chance other parts of the world are also moving to electric cars. Mm -hmm. And it, it cannot happen like overnight. And uh, but as, as the world moves towards electric cars, it's not good for eth uh, ethanol and uh, gasoline. And um, Ethanol relies on gasoline quite a bit because like in the US, it's, it's, uh, um, if, uh, it's very hard to, dial, uh, to, to drive up ethanol demand on, your, on its own. Whereas if gasoline demand increases quite a bit by ethanol demand uh, increases by default. So, so at, the, at the beginning of this, you said that gasoline and ethanol aren't correlated, which was surprising to me, or, or they don't have a very strong correlation, but it seems to me that the most ethanol is being sold to use with gasoline. So yes. know, I don't understand why they, why so, they so the, 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 uh, so uh, like in the U S because of the RFS, uh, you can say there's an ethanol blend mandate yeah. where you blend like 10% of, uh, of the, uh, of gasoline is ethanol. So um, the ethanol price does not depend on um, the price of gasoline. So, so, so what I'm saying is like right now, gasoline is more expensive than ethanol. So in, in, a, in a country which does not have a blend target where ethanol is just uh, uh, discretionally blend, blended into the gasoline pool, you would find like blend goes down when the price of, uh, when the uh, price of ethanol goes up relative to gasoline, um, the yeah, amount of ethanol used would be less right? because the, uh, and uh, and uh, ethanol is an octane booster. So, so in the Middle East, they, they, don't have a, they don't have a blend mandate, but then they used to blend uh, gasoline with ethanol because ethanol was a lot cheaper than gasoline. But right now, ethanol is more expensive. So instead of blending with ethanol, they blend with MTBE. Which, so, did we get rid of that here? Uh, yeah, yeah. It was, yeah, that was, uh, yeah, it used to be used in the U.S. before. It's not good for the environment. So, so 
in like in the US since there is like a blend target the price of ethanol doesn't matter on how much is is going to be used there there is a very small portion of discretionary blend where where you find like those E15s and E85s which is like 15% ethanol and 85% ethanol like you you'll find uh, demand destruction there when the price of ethanol is uh, greater than the price of gasoline and there's another there's another component called renewable credit so that uh, that impacts the discretionary fuel use quite a bit as well so what are renewable credits i've heard about these can you do you have any thing to share on those so i can uh, i can ex- uh, explain what the ethanol rin is so so every uh, every gallon of ethanol that's produced you can gen- uh, an ethanol plant can generate a rin, um, a rin which is a, which is a, called a renewable identification number and there are like different types of rins but for corn based ethanol it's like a d6 rin and according to the rfs uh, mand- rfs is the renewable fuel mandate so every importer or pre- producer of gasoline has to has a renewable uh, uh, rbo which is a, re- a renewable fuel like obligation so they need to retire certain number of rins every year and one way to generate the rins is blending with ethanol so when you blend a gallon of ethanol into the fuel pool you generate this ethanol rin okay which can be used against your uh, quota that you need to like retire with the i think it's the epa i'm not sure who, who they retired with and so that's why these credits so that, can be bought and sold as well yes yes they can be bought and sold as well so that's why the, um um the uh, like that's why like ethanol is blended into the gasoline pool one one is to generate these rin credits and then moreover like most of the gasoline that's produced in refineries nowadays are like sub octane and ethanol has a higher octane so you blend the two and you get get like the 87 89 93 so do you have any idea how much you're buying a, a rin credit costs oh uh, like yesterday the rin credits the uh, the uh, the ethanol rin is called a d6 rin so that's around like 55 cents the 2020 rin and, and then it's been you know, people have um talked a lot about tesla in the second quarter being profitable right but a lot of their profit came from selling renewable energy credits yes which is not so the, it's you know it may be apples and oranges but it's fallen off the same kind of renewable energy tree right right it's 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 not uh, like so what they're selling is uh, i'm not sure what exactly that product is but it's not the ethanol rin right but it's uh but my my question is how sustainable a company like tesla it, it would seem is going to make a lot of renewable energy credits every year because right yes of what they do how sustainable do you think renewable energy credits are is this something that you know in a couple it, of years are going to go away can they just be signed out of law by some sort of executive order uh i'm i'm not sure if i don't i don't think it can be phased out through an executive order but because uh, i believe there's a um, I, i'm not sure on the his, like the yeah. history of uh, of the laws but then um uh, but it, but the congress can definitely like pass a law saying that we're going the other way right we're we're not going towards like electric cars and like renewable credits and all that whereas uh, like, like to answer your question so uh, most of these car companies have uh, I think they have uh, uh, especially in Europe they have to meet like certain targets 
like you can you can either meet the the target by producing an uh, uh, by manufacturing an electric car or you can buy these credits yeah. so tesla has an as excess amounts of credits where other car companies can just buy it from them so a lot of it depends and i i, I believe the the like the quota increases year on year like the mandates for these car companies in europe i don't i don't think there's one in the us so um as uh, tesla produces more electric cars and say like bmw and ford they produce they don't produce as many electric cars then they will have to buy those credits from tesla so let's go back to our 2035 everybody's in an electric car example do you could you will lithium uh, which is all of a sudden a hot kind of phrase word around right, batteries right. do you think maybe is lithium already a tradable commodity and do you think it will be or is there something else uh, with electric vehicles that might take you know ethanol or, or gasoline's place as a tradable commodity no lithium is a tradable commodity but it's uh, i don't think it's as it's definitely not as liquid as like gasoline and crude and it might be ethanol is not uh, when you compare ethanol with gasoline and uh, crude the liquidity of ethanol is like tiny mm. I, i haven't checked the numbers on lithium but i assume it'll be somewhere close to ethanol but it's definitely not in the same scale as uh, gasoline and crude well i think with lithium the the problem that we're finding is most of it is either found in china or like very uh I don't know how to say this politically correctly, but like war, war-torn countries and right, right. You know, the Republic of Congo or, you know, places like that yeah, in yeah. Africa where right. it's... Where you have to like mine it at some rainforest it. or somewhere. Right. Yeah. And it's it's incredibly taxing and corrupt and, and all that yes. sort of stuff. So that, yeah. that's coming with its own sort of... Yeah, these are right. these are good for the... Maybe good for the environment. They're not... The vehicles themselves aren't emitting... Uh, right. I mean, like the carbon dioxide, but the yeah, like the carbon costs are up front, like where you we have to like tear down a forest in like Chile or somewhere yeah. to, to to mine the lithium. So the, I mean, like for an electric car, all the carbon costs are like up front. Like oh, after that, do you have Apple money. TV? I do not. All right, there's a there's a show on there called The Long Way Up. Ian McGregor, Ewan McGregor, uh, this guy uh-huh. in Star Wars. He takes he and a buddy take electric motorcycles from the very tip of South America all the way to Los Angeles. Oh wow! And part of the part of their journey brought them into the Amazon rainforest, and they, uh-huh. they did a a flyover helicopter tour, and they landed with some indigenous tribes and and met these people. And you could see from right. where they took off, and they're you know they're shooting the video camera out of the helicopter, and there's it's just this beautiful you know mountainous this the Amazon, right? It's beautiful forest, but then there's these huge. If you just like imagine a scab on your arm, where uh-huh. there's just giant swaths of the the landscape that have been cleared, you know, for deforestation, you know, for right, right. people yeah. mining or whatever it is, getting lumbering. What's the phrase that I'm looking for? But let's let's go with deforestation. Deforestation, yeah. It was, uh, you know, to see it from that angle was very sad and and kind of eye opening. Yeah, hey, I. Uh... I I agree. But then uh, I believe like uh, Elon Musk has said something he's found a sustainable way to mine lithium from like clay deposits or something like that. Yeah, I, I believe that. What would, what would we do? Where commercially viable. Where would the earth be if it weren't for Elon Musk? 
Will we still uh, be in the year 2002? Uh, he's, uh, I mean, he's definitely helped uh, electric cars, right? Like, and he's, uh, I think the, like um, many people now find it cool to own an electric car thanks to him. Yeah, the Prius wasn't doing so hot before. Elon yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so that Electric way cars, he's. You got the Hyperloop that's going to, you know, they're going to put one in from Houston to Dallas. I've heard um, LA to San Francisco. He's got the Boring Company where they're, where they're doing underground right, tunnels, right. Yeah. space travel. He also created yeah. PayPal. I mean, yeah, he's, uh, we'd be in trouble, I think, without him. Yeah, he's like very uh, futuristic. And... Yeah. Uh, Deep, I, I talk a lot about, uh, I tell people to invest in companies that they understand and that they use, right. right? If you have an iPhone, you're probably hooked on that iPhone and you, you, may, you probably have other Apple products. So go buy Apple, right? Like you're using this product. It's something that you're comfortable with. And I think it's, it helps from a psychological standpoint when you see the market crashing you, you still have the physical yeah. product in your hands so that that's part of it but what um you you're and, and a lot of this it, when people invest is because of things that they use at work so are there Correct. specific either commodity etfs or commodities companies that um or maybe it's something else that you're that you use or that you come into contact with that you think people should look at as, um, as a potential investment, uh, not, not like you're recommending, so, but things that are, things that are interesting to right, you right. in your so, world that we may not know about. I mean, like pretty much every commodity has an ETF. Like if you want to buy corn, you can buy corn. But don't they, like, they lose money typically. These aren't long-term. Exactly. Goals, <laughs> so, right? It's, 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 it's so, uh, like, like I have, I have a brokerage account and it doesn't, I don't own any commodities in that. So it's, uh, uh, I mean, like most of the stocks I own are pretty much the tech stocks. Like yeah. Amazon and Facebook and Apple. And, I mean, those have done like, so I, I did own, I did own the, there used to be a, a crude oil future uh, ETF called D, DWTI and UWTI. I don't, I don't think they're there anymore. It's like, 3x leveraged oh gosh yeah, yeah I, I, like i used to play around in that like i don't know five six years ago i don't do that anymore and now it's uh, like my broker's account i don't i don't have any uh, uh like no, no refiners no no uh, like nothing commodity related and it's pretty much mostly tech yeah and the reason and GE, so. the reason that these uh ge is that what you said? It was, uh, <laughs> it's, it's, um, uh, um, I've doubled down two times and Ooh. it's, it will, it's not good. It's not looking pretty. Yeah. So I'm, uh, I'm hoping they, at some uh, point they got, they make so much stuff, right? Right. They, they're going to turn it around. Yeah, and plus if, the, if, if there's like an, uh, uh, like an infrastructure stimulus, right? Like, and they're going to, so then I, I would think that'll help GE since they make a bunch of industrial stuff. Yeah, and eventually people start, I think the TSA screened more than a million people last month, so demand for flights yeah. are coming back, which and I think GE makes a bunch of jet engines and stuff like jet that. Jet engines, yeah. yeah. GE is, uh, it's not a good stock to own right now, but then since I've had it for like, 
don't know, a few years, and it's it's in the red. So I'm just keeping it. There. Yeah, it doesn't matter until you sell, right? You, you don't lose until yeah, you sell. Yeah, do, do not recommend it. So. Well, uh, deep. Thank you. Is there anything that I missed that that you'd like to discuss or, or share with us? No, I think this is this is good. It's good uh, uh, chatting with you. And if, if you have like any questions or any more questions on like commodities or anything that anything like that, I'd be like happy to talk about it. Yeah. Are you uh, obviously your your main focus is ethanol, and you've talked a little bit. Uh, well, maybe not a little bit. You've talked pretty in depth about oil. Are there any other commodities that you uh, have a strong understanding of, or you feel? Um, it's you feel so as, as an ethanol trader, you you would follow, like you have to follow ethanol obviously, and then you have to follow corn because uh, ethanol is made from corn, and then corn is dependent on other grains, which is like soy and wheat. So you follow that yeah. a little bit, and then um, uh, on the on the product side, you you have to follow gasoline, like because uh, some of the trades that you do are like are these cross commodity spreads, where like you you can like buy ethanol, sell gasoline, or vice versa, and that kind of stuff. So you like track all mm-hmm. these commodities together. And when you track a commodity, you try to you, you try to stay in touch with like the fundamentals and like what's what's going on in that space. Okay. But then, uh, like, there's no reason for in my job to to see uh, to know what like lithium is doing. Yeah. So. Yeah, y'all just put that put lithium in a corner, put it in timeout. We don't want to know what's happening because right, right. <laughs> if that thing yeah. becomes big enough, it's going to take us all out. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Oh, last question for you. There's been uh, and you you may have no knowledge of this, but there's been uh, I think Walmart, Amazon, Facebook uh, have all made pretty significant investments in India uh, over the last right. couple of years as a bet for future growth and uh, yes. India, I believe has kicked out some Chinese apps and you know, yes. do you, do you put any stock in, in American companies being able to unlock value for shareholders I, from investments in, in India? Yeah. I'm like Walmart. I'm not so sure because they bought uh, Flipkart and, but Facebook is going in with uh, Reliance Geo. Yeah, Reliance is all. Yeah, like it's so. So basically, what in what's happening in India is they're trying to, like Amazon has a big presence there. But at the same time, they're trying to, uh, uh, um, like India's richest man who owns a refinery, like who owns the I believe it's the world's largest refinery. So he's trying to move his company into, into like the, um, uh, more into like the e-commerce space and so like get out of oil, and. And so, and uh, the way he's aligned his, he, he usually works well with whichever government is on in power. So like, and sticking, buying his stock is like, is a winning strategy. So, so I'm pretty sure his, the regulations will also help him out. Like when he, when he rolls out his, uh, uh, his, uh, like, it's, I, I don't know what it's going to be called, but it's called like geo platforms. I don't know what the okay, e, uh, e marketplace is going to call. Is, is going to be called so like wow he's sticking with him is going to mukesh oh yeah Abani? yeah mukesh ambani he's yeah he's the one like, he's the one and so, so he's Facebook, the reliance geo yeah he yeah so so i think like reliance geo is going to take over pretty much all forms of e-commerce in india even though it, like it doesn't play a big part now but then 
but it's coming. It's got the right connections. And then they're working and, with Facebook for, I yeah, guess, and the Facebook owns, or, or yeah, like, yeah, like Facebook payment. owns WhatsApp. Yeah. And like pretty much all of India uses WhatsApp. So you think that Facebook will, uh, they're trying to monetize WhatsApp. I mean, I don't think that they have yeah. yet, but I'm, I'm assuming at that, least not in the coming. US. No? Yeah. I think, I think in, uh, I want to say they have, maybe they have a WhatsApp pay in India. I'm not, I'm not sure. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. It's either so, they have it or it's rolling out relatively soon. Yeah. I something like that. Yeah. Facebook, they own the, the top two messaging apps in the world with WhatsApp and then Facebook messenger. Those are the two largest oh, wow. messaging. I apps. didn't know Facebook messenger was that big. Yeah. Yeah. That's, wow. That was surprising to me as well. I saw, uh, okay. Anyway, uh, uh, we're, I'm rambling at this point. Deep, I appreciate it. Thank you for spending 45 minutes with me this morning and giving us some education on commodities and stocks and and uh, all that. I, it was, I, I hope to have you yeah, back. It, well, same here. It was, it was great talking to you. And we'll stay in touch. Close.